Oh, and I actually have a co-host who's often here, but he's uh, well. You'll you'll hear I wandering around in Spain doing a pilgrimage. So that's good. <laughs> Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and Alex is actually wandering around in Spain right now doing the, I'm going to mess this up, but El Camino de Santiago, I believe, pilgrimage. So, uh, you know, he's living what he preaches about experiences and travel, and that's what we're trying to do. So I'm running the show today, and the uh, episode, real quickly, is sponsored today by the War Room Mastermind. If you're not familiar with that, that is the community that we host that is for it's the only thing in the community that we host that is just for service members and veterans and it's for serious investors who share a common military bond and come together who want some actual community and accountability and uh it's super super solid and uh the only other thing i gotta say before we introduce the guest today is uh please subscribe to the show and drop a review because i've been terrible 200 episodes i think i've asked for that maybe three times up until this last month so uh trying to work on that but Today's guest, so this actually is really cool. So he was introduced to me by my good friend, Nick Lamagna. And uh, I've gotten to a point in life where if Nick says, asks me a question or suggests something, uh, I basically say yes, because every time I do, I end up in like another state at a really cool opportunity or uh, or talking to someone really cool. And today, our guest is Tim Cleese. And he has a super, super exciting story that I'm, I'm actually really excited to dig into because I think I'm going to learn a lot out of this. And I know you guys are as well. So for starters, uh, he raised over $325 million before the age of 25, which is just incredible. But then he also was a key member of the executive team over at Gym Launch, which uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, is with this little known guy named Alex Hermosi uh, that's you know just blowing up the internet right now. He's also launched multiple service and technical businesses over the last two decades. But now he's helping CEOs and seven-figure companies Create, uh, avoid costly mistakes and build simplified, sellable businesses in just 24 months. So today, what we're going to talk about, well, really is all of that, but also what makes a successful entrepreneur in a sellable company, and we're just going to have a lot of fun. So Tim, thanks for joining us. Hey, David, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That was a, a, a kind intro and uh, looking forward to hopefully dropping a few nuggets uh, for your audience. So thank you bro, very much for having me. Yeah, man. So, okay. So I'm going to drop off. Uh, we're going to start with something. Uh, I'm trying to ask oddball, bigger questions before we dig into stories, because I think that's fun. And so today, the question I want to lead off with, having been around bunches of businesses that have been built and sold and everything else, right? People love to talk about success and what makes like a successful entrepreneur and all this other stuff. But it's always, it's always tainted with like survivor bias, right? Like that person who made it. Uh, so and the irony, right, is that all the stats say like 90% of businesses fail in the first five to 10 years. So I'm curious if you've noticed any common traits uh, amongst the entrepreneurs who who didn't make it. Like if there's something you've been like, aha, that guy's screwed. Yeah. Um, or or that has stuck out for the non-survivor bias. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, great question. So uh, I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. So one I think is behavioral and the second is kind of more tactical. 
I think what, from what I've seen, and especially as as we sit right now, you know, entrepreneurship is is like a hot topic, right? It's super sexy. Everyone wants to break away and and start a business, and you know, it's all I have to do is have a web page and an Instagram account, and I'll have Lamborghinis and private jets, right? That that is kind of where we are right now. You know, entrepreneurship is, has become synonymous with kind of the the show, right? The reality is, I think grit and determination, you know, as, as you could probably speak to, are key in, especially in the early stages, because you know, I think the the idea is you kind of launch a business. There's lots of people that, that launch an idea, usually ill formed, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but they, you know, the second they get punched in the face, it's over. Uh, and so the, the folks that I have seen be most successful are the ones who uh, are prepared for the fight. And, you know, the punch in the face is just, you know, a, a time to reflect, uh, reorient and, and move forward. So, you know, I, most businesses fail in the first 12 months. That usually means you don't have the stamina or the capacity to continue on after that. It's like, I thought this was going to be easy. It's not as easy as I thought. Uh, competition is there. And so I'm just going to fold up shop and go back to, to doing something else, usually with certainty. The tactical side, as I, as I alluded to earlier, is I think, uh, and I'm, I went on record saying, you know, stop writing business plans. I think the formation idea is like, I'm going to sit behind a computer and I'm going to write out how the next three to five years is going to go. And all I have to do is, you know, go A to Z and I'll have success. Like that's not how the world works. So adaptability uh, and and the ability to you know take information, create more of a, a testing methodology, has has shown to give you uh, to certainly level the playing field, uh, but also stack the deck in your favor. Nothing makes analogies there. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because I when I uh, launched everything I'm dabbling in right now, you know it was there was there was definitely no business plan. Now I'm probably too far the opposite direction. Uh, where not only was there not a business plan, but I had no idea this was going to be a business. It was just like a blog and I'm just kind of documenting my journey and then it morphed over time. Uh, but I definitely was just, let's try this. Maybe it'll work. Uh, let's try this. Maybe it'll work. And, and it, and, you know, I was able to stick to the things that did work and drop the other stuff. But that was, I think, kind of more on accident than by design. But I, I do, I, I kind of, I remember people telling me like, you know, what's your, what's your vision? What's your goal? What's your plan? What's your, you know, business plan? What's your this, what's your that? And I'm like, dude, I, I have a full-time job. I have a blog and a podcast and I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't have anything like I'm having yeah. fun and, uh, and it has done all right so far. So, well, I'm a, you know, there, there's a, uh, I was a big believer and a big follower of Tony Shea, who was the co-founder or founder of uh, Zappos. And, you know, you, you take someone who, had a perspective on the world is to say, you know, I don't know what we're going to do in business, but our core product is going to be basically a customer service type experience. We are going to be phenomenal at taking care of the customer and that will carry us far. You know, Amazon obviously famously started with books and expanded from there. So, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily have to have the whole the whole idea mapped out till eternity and, and your kind of iterative approach, I think is, is really smart because the market is showing you what it wants and you can kind of continue to morph what you want to do with what the market wants you to do uh, to find success you know, along the way. So, But there has to be a, a core value proposition you're bringing to the marketplace. Absolutely. That makes sense. 
Well, I like that. I, I appreciate that answer. So uh, if, if you'd like, we can go and do a little bit more backstory. I'd be curious. So, I mean, $325 million by age 25 is, is quite the, uh, I don't want to say claim because that makes it sound like, you know, you're making yes. it like, like you, you did it. Um, how did how did you get into that world? And then from there, you know, just what made the transition more into the business space? I mean, those are kind of, I guess they're kind of similar, but they're not exactly, you know, hand in hand. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on. So I grew up uh, in New York on the North Shore of Long Island, and I escaped without the accent. But I I was raised in an environment where my dad was in the finance industry. But you know, and I don't know if you've ever. I think who who here hasn't hasn't been in a position where they felt like there was a way things should go. And as a young kid, I felt the the invisible pressure of you know you become a doctor you become a lawyer you be, you know, kind of join a join a bank something like that and it just never fit so i was the kid who would take stuff apart and put it back together again i was entrepreneurial i you know that was my craft and the idea of sitting in an office was not something that appealed to me so uh i went to school for finance because i was good with numbers uh, and i found myself interning at a brokerage firm just to kind of get some cut my teeth, learn some things. Uh, and my job was to basically answer the phone. And after about six months, I said, you know what, this, I'm setting my life up to basically become a broker. Uh, and I, it, it, I, I wanted to quit even before I started. Uh, so I walked into my boss's office and I am so thankful that I had a, a mentor at that time who uh, supported what I had to say. And it was, you know, how do I get on the other end of this phone? And he's like, I've been waiting six months for you to walk in here and to ask me that because you don't belong here. And I, he's like, so what do you want to do? I said, I want to build a financial firm for myself. I like numbers. I like the stock market. I like trading, you know, but what am I, you know, what the hell am I going to do? And he said, I have a friend of mine uh, who is good at being a portfolio manager, but does not want to run a business. I'll put you two in touch. And if something happens, great. So he and I got together and he said, I'm starting this fund, uh, but I have no interest in doing anything else. Uh, do you want to come and work with me? And we had about $500,000 uh, under management at that time, which in the grand scheme of things is effectively a rounding error. It's like a zero, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, I, I moved to Birmingham, Alabama, all places. And in like a, we, we rented a co-share office in the back of the CPA's office and we started this fund. Uh, and I crisscrossed the country at 22. I started and picked up little allocations, you know, $100,000 here, $250,000 there. And over the next 36 months or so, I uh, took that from about a million under management to over 300 million uh, just by having a great story. And I'm happy to dig into this. Uh, I, I learned the basics of knowing what you're good at and having a clear value proposition to, to, uh, to the marketplace. And I just love, I, quite frankly, I was probably just too naive to know any different. I just went out and did it. Uh, so it was, uh, if I'd actually thought about it, I probably wouldn't have been able to replicate it. But I just kind of put my head down and uh, made it happen. It was to say, most most people at that age would probably have, you know, been dealing with imposter syndrome yeah. or uh, have let someone talk them out of uh, just the idea of raising capital is, is daunting yeah. for a lot of people. Um, yeah, and it, it's and I mean it, it actually came from it was really interesting because as a kid, you know, we all hear like double down on your strengths or something like that. My strengths as a kid were I was always more comfortable talking to adults than I was to my peers, so I had that. 
but I also skewed more towards the kind of sensitive side. I was not the gladiator, uh, which when I went, went into that, that investment business, it actually helped me tremendously because the rest of the marketplace was all bravado, big suits, you know, the whole like exactly chest something. It was like, you should be on, you should thank me for taking your money. And so I sought out to flip the script. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you're going to give us $250,000 of your IRA, your retirement accounts. This is your, you know, the result of your you know, hard work over decades. I want you to know two things. One, you're never going to go to sleep at night wondering if your money is safe. And number two, we're never going to lose your money. And so we were able to, to raise a lot of that money because just like the restaurant industry, you know, consistency is king. We were the most, we weren't the highest performing fund, you know, in the market, but we were the most consistent. And that is what allowed us to get to where we were. Yeah. And I learned, I, I saw that it took off almost immediately because it was completely counter to what, you know, the, the, the narrative at that time was, uh, uh, was out, was out there. I think that's huge. Uh, I mean, and you, you say that, but that's absolutely, you know, I, I, I make fun of, uh, syndicators and, and a lot of those uh, people in the in the capital raising yeah. side of the world, uh, for that reason, um, and I I love you know I, I can raise uh, or I have raised uh, you know a couple million here and there for various projects or uh, my own flips and whatever, um, and I, I always make fun of the that side of the world because I'm like man they just it is so like stuffy it, it's like you go to like a, a one of those events and it's just like. Oh, here come all the guys in the suits talking about how much money they've raised. And I laugh because it's like me and like two or three of my buddies sitting in the back, just like getting drunk in like t-shirts and, <laughs> you know, boots, like throwing them back, just like, oh, you know, and it's like, that's just not my crowd. Um, but that is funny to hear you say that because there's a lot of room for that in that space because there's so many people who don't relate to the bravado or the sharp dressed uh side like they just want in my opinion and i think you hit on it they really just want somebody who's gonna sit down look eye to eye and say hey look i know how hard you worked for this money and i'm not gonna lose it and that was so it's you know what like warren buffett says rule number one don't lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one which which yeah. is a great reminder for yeah. anyone out there is like i have to be the king of the mountain Find your niche. For me, you know, authenticity and trust were the product. Like that, that was what people actually wanted while everybody else was competing over the show. And so anytime you can find a discrepancy like that in your marketplace, and if it doesn't exist, create a new category and then dominate that category. It'll take you much further than trying to play in the red ocean of pretending to, to be better than the next guy. Absolutely. Okay, so you go from... You raise all this money and then how did you jump into, I mean, you mentioned that you like to tinker and you're very entrepreneurial. When did you jump into the actual like service and tech industry and, and business side? So uh, you mentioned the, everybody likes to talk about their successes. Let me finish the story of how that 350 ended up. For okay. those that were in the marketplace in 2008, especially the fall of 2008, it was a fucking bloodbath. <laughs> in the uh, spring of 2007 was when the things started to look like it was about to get rocky 
And if you've done, you've kind of been in the market long enough, you know that there's like normal market dynamics. Like it should look and perform a certain way. At that time, things went crazy. And it was because basically interest rates were low. This is when Ben Bernanke came out and said that the, the beginning of the alt-day defaults was going to be contained, you know, this whole thing. And uh, so we said, you know what, we can't compete in this market. And so in October of 2007, I went to all of those investors and said, we're going to go to cash. It's the right thing to do. You're paying us millions of dollars a year to, to invest on your behalf. I'm going to waive all those fees because it's not the right thing to do, but you have to leave your money with us and we will get back in the market when it when it kind of resets to a more normal environment. Or you, option number two, you can take your money. 98% of them said, I want my money back. You've lost your touch. So I wired out and basically returned $349 million, $348 million in the end of 2007 on principle. And we were nine months early, but it, you know, but we were proven right. And so I think that that parlays into like the next phase of my career, which was I had just finished like a four year, three and a half year crisscross the country, you know, seven days, 25 hours a day kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so I said, what do I really want to do? And, and my wife and I uh, at that time were, were newly married and we were uh, athletes in college. And I said, you know what, I want to get, I want to do something that feels good day to day. So we got into the fitness industry. And so moved from Birmingham, Alabama, back to the Northeast, where both of us were from, uh, and we opened up gyms. And so from uh, basically 2009 to uh, last year, we owned a chain of five fitness facilities uh, in uh, in Massachusetts, where where we live. And that introduced me to uh, uh, that's how I met uh, Alex and Lazor Hamosi over at, uh, at Gym Launch. But you know, that was the transition. Uh, and amongst that, there was a technology component, which I was deep into as well. So. I think at that time it was just where, what do I want to do with my life after feeling like I did all this work without having the payoff, if you will. Yeah. But you know, without having the payoff maybe, but I mean, if you hadn't listened to your gut and you'd yeah. lost, I mean, totally different. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder almost like of the 349 that you wired back, not that anyone's going to, actually reach out and say they were wrong but i'm curious how many of those people even if they didn't email you are just like man should have stayed with they, that they, they took my they took my phone calls now as i mentioned before like these are people whose retirement accounts we managed so i like pleaded with there were a few e ones who i knew were going to go you know go to someone else who will tell them whatever they want to want to hear uh in order to get their money or get their business and i just said please whatever you do i might be wrong but just don't go do something don't go the other go way. Right, exactly. Like don't don't lever out. Like Please uh, go to cash. Yeah. Be conservative. Uh, and and a number of those people did reach out afterwards and say, you know, it's uh, you, you you told us the right. You, you told us what you believed to be true at the time, uh, and we should have been more open to it. But you know, this is. I mean, they wrote both wrote movies around this, right? Like nobody else was thinking. Not many people were thinking uh, in the terms of how bad it could have gotten, and so quickly. Well, and. And it's, you know, it's, it's the, the crux of all investing, right? When things are hot, nobody wants to listen to it. It's tulip mania. That's exactly right. Nobody wants to, I've got the, I've got that freaking thing framed in my, in the other room. Uh, I, I, when Dogecoin took off two years ago and I, and I actually made pretty, pretty crazy return on that. I put 200 bucks into it, not because Dogecoin was mania, yeah. but 
when I saw that somebody had made a coin about that, I was like, that's hilarious. If that gains traction online, that's going to blow up. And I put 200 bucks yep. in it. And then like six, I forgot about it. Like six months later, it blew up online. And I was like, well, that's funny. I wonder if I still own that. And then, and then like two days later, Elon tweets about it. And I was like, oh, that's got to be good. So then I like went and looked at it. My 200 bucks turned into like 14 yeah. grand. And I was like, and we're out. <laughs> we're out. You were and then it went up to like a dollar, you know, and I was like, I would have been like 60,000 bucks or something like that, but I, I don't care. Um, I took that as a down payment for a duplex that I then turned around a year later and sold with no capital gains or, or with, you know, a 1031 into anyway, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it was just lucky gambling. You know, I was no intention of that actually. Be, I didn't jump in because of hype, but so many people waited until it was too late. The hype is there and now they're whatever. And that's just how the market works. Once the hype is there and the, it's hard to convince people, hey, uh, you might want to pull back on that or, or even just sell a little bit as you're like, sell the principal out as you're going up so that you're not, but man, emotions. <laughs> every, every market works on expectations, right? If, you know, the, the theory is if everybody had perfect information, the market would be adequately priced at all times. And we know that it moves up or down on any given day, which means there's a this battle of opinion. And at some point, supply demand takes over. And in the short term, that's what moves markets, right? Is is purely the amount of money moving one side to the other, buys versus sells effectively. Over the course of time, it matters. But in any given day, in any given week, those forces are significantly stronger, especially today with the advent of technology. You know, trading firms own the markets, uh, which is why you know, for anyone who's kind of in the markets, uh, generally for retail investors, take a long-term perspective because the the short-term volatility is uh, is really tough to manage for most most folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so all right. Um, curious. Uh, so you've coached a bunch of you know seven eight figure entrepreneurs how to scale their business and how to uh, make them sellable, and that's and that's kind of your jam right now. Um, what are some of the top strategies that, uh, or principles that you believe help make a uh, business, you know, like what are, I guess some, some top strategies that, uh, I, I usually frame thing as a service members or veterans, but like entrepreneurs can use to help grow their business into a successful or sellable business. I guess, I guess what kind of separates a sellable business from a not as you're looking sure. at it. Like, I know that's not easy to distinguish when you're look at yeah it's so from from the owner's side i guess well first of all perspective is an amazing amazing thing you and i could look at the, you know you could look at my business and probably point some things out that i can't see i mean that's the nature of of perspective right so uh as i work with folks the number one thing that most people want at least in the short term is it comes out of cash flow i'm not making enough money i can't hire enough people there, you know, I make, I generate revenue, but there's not enough money left over at the end of the month. You know, all of those types of things are symptoms that reflect a cash flow problem in the short term. And to have a saleable business is usually, uh, especially for owner owner operators, it's like I'm working all the time and I'm doing everything, and I don't have enough money to to, to buy back my time and hire others to make my life better. So the first thing that I look at is is to say, well, how can we increase cash flow? And there's three things that we look at. It's price, it's product, and positioning. 
because just about everything that a business and my kind of sweet spot is service businesses under five million a year in revenue. The the thing that most of them need is to differentiate themselves in the market, to be able to acquire customers at a profit, and increase the margins of their business. So if you're you know you just the, the difference between what you're selling for and the the cost to deliver it, uh, or even the operating expenses. Uh, those are the three things that we look at kind of to drive increased cash flow. And then, so that, that's the price positioning and product are the, the ways that we're able to influence it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think positioning is, uh, it's probably the, the sneaky one that people don't, you know, I think product and, and price people probably think about a lot more, I would imagine, than the positioning one, right? Because... Um, it's, it's funny. So I, you know, use myself as an example as we go through all this, but, uh, I always made fun of, well, I make fun of, but like the people who on Instagram who come out as a expert right out the gate and they've got like 2000 followers and they're like, I'm an expert at this and I'll teach you all these things. And I have this incredible like branding guide and I look incredible online, but I have like three likes on my post and I've sold like, I've bought like one rental property and I'm going to teach you how to buy rental properties. And I'm like, you're doing this wrong. But then there's the other side, which is like me, which was like, I'm going to document my journey. I created this like $50 crappy logo off freelancer and we're off and we're not teaching all this stuff. We're not an expert. We're just positioned as like, Hey, follow along. And it, the community blows up. And now I've got a business that's doing, you know, any, I mean, it fluctuates wildly because it's a, business, but anywhere from twenty to fifty thousand dollars a month gross, and you know if I'm not if we're not counting the houses that get sold because that just throws the numbers off even more, um, and it, it's doing all right, and expenses are fairly low for the most part, and things are doing all right and whatever, and uh, but I still have crappy logo, and I realized like last week or last month I'm like it's finally time to actually do a full branding guide again and rebrand and make sure that my mastermind and my other thing and they all you know like my book is one color scheme and my logo is another and my mastermind's a third and like they're not all cohesive and uh like i'm not positioned in the way that i should be right now and that's uh you know like we are the largest military real estate investing community in the world and we probably should look like yes. it and so that's, uh, it's good to hear you say that because I like, oh, I'm not going down the wrong tree. No. And I, I know you had Ryan Pineda on at some point recently and talk about a guy who's just yeah. exhibited the, uh, and shown what it's, what it looks like to build a scale business. And, and I think the thing that he's done phenomenally well is each of the components of his business complement the other. And that integration and that alignment has, is phenomenal. And so. And just to get back to the positioning piece, uh, you know, at, at Gym Launch, we pioneered what is now fairly common, which is a six-week transformation challenge in the fitness industry. So prior to that, so the positioning for a gym used to be, uh, and you've probably seen this everywhere, uh, you know, a, a free session or a free day or something, and it's generally free because it needs to be a, a effectively a low-ticket offer to get somebody in the door. Now we could say, well, okay, we weren't, we're not going to do a free thing. We'll do like a, a $9, uh, you know, day or something like that, a pass yeah. or something. We went completely the opposite. We went to a $600 six week transformation program. And at the time you could go, well, 
most people are challenged to sell zero, you know, a free offer, let alone a $600 offer. You, you guys are crazy. Like, that's the point. We positioned our gyms as not gyms. They were transformation studios. And it's different. A free gym is like, well, I'm not going to go anyway. So what? it doesn't matter if it's free because most people just, you know, will never attend, right? But what most people want is the transformation. So we go, okay, we're not going to give you a free membership. We're going to give you movement, nutrition, and accountability. That's actually what I need. And so you flip the positioning through pricing and having a product stack that supports both of those. So I think that's, you know, for anyone who's listening, it's like, if you feel like you're, you have competition, you just haven't defined a new category yet in a way that allows you to differentiate yourself. So, you know, and David, even to your point, you know, being, you could just be a, a real estate company. There's thousands, tens of thousands of those, but you know, the process of niching down and representing, you know, the authenticity of who you are and what you, what you represent allows you to stand out in the marketplace. So lots of lessons to be learned there and you're doing it right. You're on the right path. I can't, I can't, I can't hear you uh, talk about gym memberships and not, I think this actually, I think I actually brought this up on the show like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were interviewing someone and this, some, something similar came up using gyms as an analogy. And every time I hear it, I, I just recently with my wife watched this friends episode where they're trying to cancel their gym memberships. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. See that. I love it. And like, like they go in and they're like, we're going to cancel our membership. And they've got this really hot chick. They're like, oh, hang on. We'll bring out our, the, the lady you have to talk to about canceling. And she just stands there. <laughs> exactly right. They, yep. I need backup. I'm bringing a friend in. And then he ends up signing up that's for the right. gym. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what goes through my head. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what gyms do. It's like the the weirdest. Oh my gosh. But you're right. Yeah. That's a, a totally different model, but it, it's what you're selling. It's the positioning and it's, it's exactly that you're selling the actual need and the actual want rather than the, you know, building. To know if you're on the right path, look at features versus benefits. If you are selling features, chances are you're not selling the right product. Benefits look like, you know, instead I could say, let me tell you about all the equipment we have in the facility. That's a features statement. Let me tell you about what class times there are. That's features. The benefits are, let me tell you about how your body's going to transform. Your spouse is going to look like look at you like they haven't looked at you in 20 years. Your friends are going to be jealous because you're the hot one. Oh, that it's completely different. I could tell you, you know, stand on your head. If I could deliver that result, it's we, we used to call it, uh, you know, sell the, the vacation, not the plane flight. And what that means is like, if I told you you're going to Hawaii, you'd go, oh my God, this is amazing. Or pick your, pick your destination of choice. I wouldn't say, so David, here's what you're going to do. You're going to you know, pay hundreds of dollars for a ticket. And then you're going to get up at the ass crack of dawn. And you're going to go to an airport three hours before. And you're going to take your shoes off and someone's going to scan you. And then it's going to be super uncomfortable. And you got to, you know, you can, you'd never go. <laughs> yeah. So you have to think about how are you future pacing your customer? towards the destination they want to end up in. And every business, every value-based business is like that. You got to get them somewhere. They want to go somewhere and how do you take them there? Yep. I love it. Yeah. That's a, uh, I spent three years as a recruiter for the Marine Corps and that was 
needs-based selling was exactly what we, you know, the, the army was always like, oh yeah, we've got physical fitness and travel and, and we've got this and we've got this and we've got this and we'll give you this and we'll give you this and this. And it was like the same pitch and presentation, no matter who you talk to. And we were, we basically, we had these things called benefit tags. I, I wonder if I've got my set. I bet I've got a set sitting around here somewhere, but it was these 11 or 12 like tags and they all had things like physical fitness, travel, uh, you know, personal development, um, whatever, whatever, you know, education, whatever, whatever, whatever they were on them. Uh, you just slid them across the table. You're like, Hey, uh, pick your favorite, like the three of these that stand out to you the most. And it was like, Oh, uh, I want travel and adventure and personal development and financial security. Cool. Yeah. That's all we're going to talk about today. I don't care about the rest of this stuff. Like we can give you all the rest of this stuff, but that's the only thing we're going to talk about. And I'm not going to tell you like, oh, GI bill, but I'm going to tell you, you know, about the benefits and whatever. And like, um, yeah, exactly. Although, you know, I was also trying to be like, we're going to get you sign a piece of paper for like, four months of your life. so <laughs> little different, little, little different yeah. than six weeks of here's, you know, 600 bucks, six weeks. It's like, you don't have to pay anything, but you're not going anywhere for the next four years. That's right. That's right. So we'll pay you a little bit. Uh, but I also think it's a great, great gig. So I loved it. Um, it's easy to sell when you believe in it. Super uh, important. How many yeah, people I agree. aligned in that way? Yeah. I know you can feel it, right? When sales guys are desperate or needy. Um, okay. So uh, when it comes to business, right? Um, when you're looking to sell, I mean, we've we've got the price, product, and uh, positioning. I will wake up. Yep, positioning. There we go. I was like, it's yep. P. I know what it is, but uh, but when you're actually looking to sell, right? So if you're trying to maximize valuation, finding the right buyer, you know, smooth transition. There's a whole lot that goes into that. Um, I mean, it's you know, as far as maximizing valuation, like oh, you reduce expenses, you do whatever. Um, but what do you? What are some like? If I'm trying to so. You know, we like to play the net worth game and like, ooh, at, at a, this multiple, I'm worth whatever uh, game, a lot of people. But what, when it comes to actually selling at company and you're like, it's time to do this thing, what, do you, what are some like common steps that you find people just aren't ready to, you're like, you're looking at the business and you're like, dude, you're just, this is a mess. Like we've got to fix these things before we can even take this thing to market. Yeah, I think, uh, so timing is one of the most important things. People wait too long because what happens is Interesting. a business is growing nicely and then it starts to plateau a little bit. And then it's like, well, the future doesn't look as good as the past. So now is the mm. time to sell. Well, guess what? Buyer's going to come to the same conclusion you just did. And they're going to discount the value of your company because the future looks different than the past. So where you want to sell is when you think that things might slow down or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you'll hit a critical point probably in the next 12 to 24 months. You want to start the business sales process then so that you are selling while the growth rate is still the highest. So that's the first. And that is a very common misconception. You're selling out of like, I just want to be done with this or, I, you know, I've kind of, I'm gotten, I've gotten bored rather than maximizing the timing uh, of it. The things that are generally hardest are entrepreneurs or business owners that think that they are the center of the universe. 
if he, everything revolves around you and you don't want to remain in the position you're in to work for someone else, that's why this process takes 12 to 24 months, generally speaking, to complete because we have to find, we have to put the processes in place and we have to find the people. So not everything revolves around you. And buyers sense. absolutely will kind of stress test your business in their own way to see how much risk they're taking on by buying the business if you're not involved. And that's a key differentiation. A lot of business owners want to sell and then be done. But if that's the sales process, like hand me a check and I'm out, that is what most people envision. That is That needs to be prepared for versus uh, a sale, which is you buy the business and then you give me an employment contract for a year or two. Those are very different scenarios. Most sub $5 yeah. million dollar a year reven revenue businesses are the first category, primarily. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. Cool. So, all right. So that kind of covered, I guess, my next question, which would have been some unexpected challenges. But, you, you know, I'm curious, you kind of mentioned this, and I'm, so I'm, a, I'm guessing this isn't as odd of a question as I thought it might have been, but I'm curious what you see most of these guys do after they sell. So, so assuming they're not on an employment contract, like... My guess is that a lot of these guys sell a company thinking they're going to be like, oh, I made it. I'm going to sit around. And then they get really bored and they go again because they're like, they're. I had a, a friend, a good friend of mine. Uh, I once heard him say, anyone who can retire early won't. And his whole point was essentially that like those of us who are crazy enough to want to start businesses and do all these other things aren't usually the type to just slow down and sit in the porch and sip lemonade. Very and So I'm curious what you see these guys doing after they sell business. Yeah. So I believe, so kind of you go from the entrepreneur kind of field into now, now you're more of an investor to some extent. And at that point you have a clean slate. So you can jump back over the fence, back into the entrepreneurship pool, or you can remain an investor. And so what, what you'll see a lot of people, in, especially in the real estate industry, you'll see Someone will sell a company. They've got some assets. They start buying real estate. They're looking for cash flow, and you know that gives them options. I think that's what most most people want: optionality. They just don't want to be forced. You know, if if you could remain, quote unquote, you know, before you retire, if you could do what you want when you want, and still work, most people would take that deal because you actually don't want to sit, you know, drinking my ties on the beach all day long. It actually gets kind of boring, right? And we're just wired to to do so. What I see people do is for a period of time, I encourage people to let kind of just settle settle for three months, six months, whatever is appropriate um, after you have an exit, assuming you can, you know, you can do that and then see how you feel because you kind of get into the idea that the novelty of the whole thing, like I can, you know, sleep late and do all these things that usually lasts like a week. And then after that, it's like, okay, I'm bored to tears. What do I want to do next? The question then is, what do you do? I have found that the most successful people in the world will go back to what they know. There is a group of people who will make money in one industry, and then they'll go and start restaurants. Or, you know, like, you know I started a technology company. I made a bunch of money. Now I'm going to go blow it in crypto and some of the things that I just don't even know. That is... A minority of people, but it is quite common, right? So I encourage folks to kind of take a second, see what you want to do. Most people are like, all right, I'm ready to go back in now, coach. Like, okay, go back doing something that you're familiar with because you know, 
it's that adage, you know, the compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. If you know how to do something, business means you know how to do it reasonably successfully. And if you want to learn something new, then go find a partner and go do something new. So I think that that itch that needs to be scratched is the the creative element, like the I, I need to to manifest an idea into reality. You know, Wayne Huizinga is a great example of this. I think he bought and sold four waste management companies in his day. And when he was asked why, he goes, it's the only the thing I know. So I'm just going to go do it again. And waste management was, you know, a multi-billion dollar exit. So you kind of go, what, where, play to my strengths, right? Instead of, uh, you know, starting back at, at, uh, at step one every time. I like that answer. And I mean, it makes sense because, yeah. You see people dabbling in things that they just don't really, it's just not their jam, and you see them getting hurt. Uh, it was interesting you kind of mentioned the, the crypto thing uh, earlier. I almost kind of joked about it because we were talking about like young entrepreneurs or uh, something. And I was thinking about it the other day. This is totally unrelated, but the other day I was like, man, you know, I keep seeing, uh, oh, it was when you mentioned uh, entrepreneur being a buzzword. And, uh, the thing that flashed through my mind was how recently I've noticed kind of an uptick in like the, I have a fancy car and I'm 20 something and I'm a, you know, entrepreneur. And usually it's like a, a digital marketer of sorts and you like dig into it and it's like crypto NFT something. And it's like these, there's like this small niche of people who like kind of made some money in the gambling on nft crypto space but they have like nothing else to fall back on and now they're trying to it, it, it's an interesting I, i've seen it a little bit on maybe it's just the people i follow online but i'm like man i i kind of wonder what like i hope i hope they find something to parlay that into because from the outside looking in i'm like i mean i sure hope people don't buy that as a like coach because it's like oh you might have made some money as a you know digital marketer on the hype but it was it was luck and i hope you acknowledged the role that the timing played in that uh, well, i mean it, this, the, those those dynamics right like when i was when i was younger it was you know saturday mornings before cartoons came on it was like you know options trading or something like that and then it turned into you know day trading will make you a millionaire just i you know buy my course you know get in my group and i'll give you all the the things you need right there's always been and especially now it's just accelerated, which is like the, the yeah. get rich quick. I want it now. There's got to be a shortcut is just unfortunately so synonymous with kind of the, the, the culture and the mindset right now where it's, it, 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 it's I'm going to butcher the, the idea, but it's, you know, it's like the, the, somebody went, if, if you want to get rich quick or you can get rich quick, uh, you can get rich quick or you can get rich guaranteed or something like that. Uh, and, you can't have both. So you kind of have to choose your path. And a lot of people have gone broke trying to get rich quick. Yeah. 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 A lot of, uh, scammy scams out yeah. there. So yeah, you know, it is what it is. Exactly. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, let's see, I've got one or two questions that I ask every guest. Let's see here. Uh, I think that one's not really relevant this time around. So we're going to roll with this. Uh, service members and vets, yeah. right? Been around a lot of entrepreneurs. I don't know how many of them may or may not have a military background, but I'm curious if you've noticed anything having 
any interactions with service members and vets within that community or space. Any traits that make them stand out or that you think would make them unique, uniquely positioned to be a strong entrepreneur or business owner? Absolutely. Uh, I have a couple of, I've got a good close friend of mine now is a former Navy SEAL. Uh, I've got a couple of Army Rangers uh, in my circle. So uh, a few things. The first is, as I mentioned earlier, you know, grit and determination is one of those things that's super important. Um, I think discipline is obviously a, a, an int- incredible strategic advantage. If you can simply just do what needs doing, you're already ahead of 90% of people uh, or, or whatever the number is, right? Uh, and I personally like and, and am attracted to people who have an authenticity for what they do. And the service members that I know, uh, Leonard, you know, William Branham, he runs a, he's a former Navy SEAL. I don't know if you know William, you know, five SEAL yeah. secrets, just a phenomenal human being and has taken his experience in, you know, in, in service and been able to help so many business owners, you know, the game, the game of life is a mental one. You know, I used to, you know, many, many people still think it's about who knows more or, you know, who can go to the right, you know, have the right path. The reality is it's all walk behind between your ears, right? And so someone like William has come into organizations and been able to just fix the mindset. Uh, and, and when you, I mean, that's why every leader has a successful person generally as a coach, you know, you need someone who can give you that perspective. And, and I think service members are uniquely and entrepreneurs are uniquely positioned to, to take that combination of experience uh, and those skill sets and, and traits that they have. Uh, and bring them, you know, to bear in, in getting an idea off the ground and, and uh, in an authentic fashion. I love it. Yeah, no, uh, Will's actually been on the podcast oh, before, so there you go. No. Um, yeah, it's it's funny you you mentioned. Uh, so, <laughs> what are the answers I give commonly if I get asked? You know, what what makes service members? Uh, you know, it's some version of that question. I always laugh, and I'm like, well. You know, most businesses go through what I always jokingly call the BMW phase, below minimum wage, where you're broke and you're like, shit, <laughs> why am I doing this? Like, and, uh, you know, and, and you talked about it earlier, like most businesses fail in the first year and it's that grit, you know, being able to weather that storm. Well, my joke with that is like in the military, we're so used to, we don't, you know, we, we work our 40 hour week plus, you know the other 40 hours that we don't get paid for because we just had to show up at three in the morning to clean weapons or work on Saturday, or we're sitting around sitting on our hands going, why the hell am I still at work? You know, or whatever. And I was like, so now when you open a business, it's like, well, I'm still working all this extra time for no money, but at least I'm doing it for me. So this is fun now. <laughs> it's like, the military prepared me for that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and you get to lead the organization, right? To some extent, like that is, I think leaders eat first in a lot of ways. And, and by taking care of yourself, you become a better leader and you already have a lot of those traits innate in you uh, where I think a lot of small business, I mean, I will, I'll put myself in this, this. I had to learn that on the job and it was probably more painful for my team uh, at that time that it, that I, in hindsight, probably made it harder on them than I should have uh, or could have had I had a greater sense of those qualities earlier in my career. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, is there, uh, I know we both got to run here yeah. in a minute. Is there anything that we missed that you think would be worth covering uh, uh, before we... No, the, the, the only thing I'll, I'll say is uh, I am inundated day in and day out with, you know, claims, right? I think you even spoke to the kind of the internet marketing world. Uh, so for anyone out there who is thinking about taking action, uh, I would encourage you to pay attention to the show, not the tell. People can say whatever they want to say, and uh, I believe in, and this is something I've done in, in my business, is I do I, I give away all the information for free. I help with implementation, but I, I'll give away my knowledge. So, you know, if that's something that's of interest, if anything that I've said is, has been, uh, uh, you know, resonated with you, uh, would love to uh, go to timcalise.com, T-I-M-C-A-L-I-S-E.com slash VIP, uh, and I'll send you some of the behind-the-scenes walkthroughs on how to scale a business, how to start a business. We uh, we do weekly calls and, and would love to have uh, be able to get that out to your audience. So uh, if that's uh, if that's of interest, just uh, like I said, go there or I'm on Instagram at tim.calise. Uh, and if you uh, if you DM me MMP from Military Millionaire Podcast, uh, I will uh, I'll I'll throw you guys a special gift. So shoot that over if you're watching if you're listening, uh, and uh, and I'll send your audience a, a little something. Right on. Well, that wraps up my my next question of where can people get a hold of you. And I just opened your web browser so that I can go check out all your free content Perfect. as well. And uh, Tim, this has been a pleasure. I've gotten. Uh, quite a bit of information out of this. I'm uh, glad to get some validation that I'm on the right path with uh, a little bit of rebrand and I'm uh, I'm going to go and dig into that and get myself squared away for some position. That sounds awesome. Well, I really appreciate you having me uh, and I, I know entrepreneurship can be isolating uh, or and, and you know, it's uh, heavy as the head, but, you know, I think uh, finding a mentor like uh, and a leader like yourself, uh, we're all uh, we're all benefiting from. So appreciate it very much. Well, thank you very much, brother. Have a great day, and I'll let you know when the show goes live. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.